This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Brave, a next-generation free web browser that focuses on ensuring your privacy and security. Take back control of your online activity and switch browsers to Brave today at brave.com slash fool. Again, that's brave.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, December the 4th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined by healthcare guru, Todd Campbell. Todd, how's it going? It's good. It's good. I'm actually... I'm a little sore. I've been, I think, Bear Aspirin's best customer over the course of the last couple of days. I don't know if Alexandria got hit or not, but we up here in New Hampshire got a good couple strong days of snow. And, and it wasn't the light, fluffy stuff. Oh. It was the, the heavy, heart attack-inducing stuff. Oh, my goodness. So you are basically propping up Bear Aspirin one pill at a time right now, Todd. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty yeah. much. My shoulders are regretting my decision not to invest in a uh, in a snowblower yet again. There you go, year. there you go. Yeah, we we have thankfully been able to dodge most of the snow here in Alexandria, but um, it's been getting quite cold, and I am certainly feeling the chill. I just got over being sick all of Thanksgiving week, which is absolutely terrible. Um, so I'm hoping I've at least got that out of my system. But super glad to be uh, back on the show because we've got a lot to cover today, Todd. Yes, as long as your voice holds up, we're all set. (laughs) That's right, and so far so good, and I've got my tea right beside me. Uh, But today's show I'm excited about because we've got big news from across um, really multiple industries, the first of which is Biopharma with big M&A news. And then also we're going to be giving updates on the cannabis space. That's right, lots of things happening right now in the marijuana industry, so we'll dive into all of that and more But first up, let's talk about the acquisition everybody is talking about right now, and that is Novartis, ticker symbol NVS, announcing that it's acquiring the medicines company, ticker symbol MDOC, really to beef up its cardiovascular portfolio. Um, Novartis did announce that they're acquiring the company for $9.7 billion, or $85 a share, Basically, a 45% premium uh, above the closing price prior to the acquisition rumor actually being confirmed. Todd, what can you tell us about this huge deal? And basically, what is Novartis getting with this deal? I guess this was one of those cases where buy the rumor paid off. I think after the rumor broke, we you know shares rallied more than 20%. And then sure enough, the, the premium that was paid on top of, of that post rally was another 20 or 25%. So... You know, investors are obviously smiling very widely when it comes to uh, this acquisition. And it's interesting to see that this isn't, you know, we've seen a couple different acquisitions. There was another one, which we're not going to talk about today, but uh, a gene therapy acquisition for $3 billion that Estellas did uh, this week as well. So, you know, it seems like we're seeing a little bit of a return. And, you know, we've talked about in the show before, you know, some of these drug developers, they use that as a as a, a third stool or a second stool, second leg on a stool or whatever when it comes to their pipelines. You know, you have internal development, and then also, if you're a big company like Novartis, you can step up and spend a lot of money and just acquire something that's already succeeded in phase three trials and not have to worry about taking on that headline risk of conducting those clinical trials and, and potentially having them fail. And in doing this deal, Novartis is landing up a pretty interesting medicine. It, it, it's in glycerin, and that's a RNA silencing drug that targets something called PCSK9, 
which is an enzyme that we've talked about in the show well, in the past, um, which companies have been targeting to reduce bad cholesterol levels or LDLC in a bid to reduce heart disease. And I think that, you know, to sort of set the stage for investors who are trying to figure out, well, how big a deal is this to Novartis and, and could this be worth this big price tag that Novartis is paying? You know, a couple statistics just to throw out there, Shannon. First, about 50,000 people die every day worldwide because of heart disease. 50,000. I mean, that's, that's oh, so many people. 30 million people worldwide will suffer a heart attack or a stroke, often because of cardiovascular disease. And there are about 40 million people uh, throughout the world who right now are still, despite, despite the availability of cheap statins, still failing to reach their target on their bad cholesterol levels. So new therapies, theoretically, can improve upon um, those, you know, those existing therapies and further lower bad cholesterol, maybe reducing the risk of heart attack, stroke, and death. Obviously, a very um, potentially lucrative um, area of focus. Yes, and really for uh, the medicines company, they've been posting pretty pretty good phase three data this year. Um, and so I think this deal really became sweetened when basically the data showed uh, this drug was helpful in lowering LDL for difficult-to-treat patients. I will say, though, it's not terribly surprising to see this acquisition happened, happening. Um, you mentioned, Todd, you know, we, we've kind of started to see M&A ramp up, but for a company like um, the medicines company, um, Sarissa Capital, which is actually was founded and headed up by Carl Icahn's protege, Alex Denner, took a sizable stake in the company um, a couple of years back, restructured the board, restructured the company to really hone in and focus on this one drug. So they were selling off assets. Um, and of course, for this drug, they um, this is one um, that they gave Alnylam Pharmaceuticals, is that right? I think they gave mm -hmm. upfront yep. rights for $25 million, um, to this drug. So I think this is an attempt with this um, building up restructuring to get the company sold. And to this point, of course, you know, for anybody who's been following the biopharma space, Alex Denner has been uh, behind the likes of Ariad Pharmaceuticals getting sold. And of course, Biogen's hemophilia unit, um, BioVarative getting sold off to Sanofi. So not not too terribly surprising, but this drug in and of itself is really interesting. The PCSK9 space is really interesting um, because it is a pretty competitive space, but this is a space that has struggled when it comes to launches and really struggled when it comes to uptake, some of which has to do with pricing, some of it which could potentially do with convenience. But it's interesting to see how this drug is being positioned within such a competitive market space right now. Yeah, and I think you know, just to back up a little bit and give people kind of like a, a top-level view of, of what's been happening, what this market looks like, you know, you think about the most famous probably of, of the cholesterol-busting drugs that's ever made it to market, and that's got to be Lipitor. At one point, Lipitor was doing $13 billion a year in sales, and I think the class um, overall statins were hauling in something like $20 billion at their peak. So this is a, a mega blockbuster indication. Now, the way statins work is they help to reduce the production of cholesterol uh, in the body. Um, PCSK9 inhibitors, they work differently. So this drug and glycerin and the other two that we're going to talk about in a second, they work differently. These drugs, what they do is they, they stop 
um, the production or inhibit the production of the enzyme PCSK9, which breaks down LDL receptors in the liver. By inhibiting the breaking down of those, they increase the number of receptors in the liver. Therefore, they're able to clear more cholesterol from the bloodstream. So it's an entirely new mechanism of action. Now, back in 2015, you had the first of these PCSK9 inhibitors come to market. You had Santa Fe and Regeneron's Proluent um, get a, with approval, and then you had Amgen's Repathoin approval. When these drugs came to the market, um, everybody was thinking these are going to be billion-dollar blockbuster sellers because, again, there is this huge unmet need for lowering bad cholesterol. And unfortunately, it's been, it really hasn't materialized. They, they came to the market with a high price, 14000 bucks. Since then, they've continued to ratchet that price back to try and drive volume and win over payers that they frustrated early on. Uh, even if you look at the third quarter, combined sales of Repatha and Prowler are still tracking about $240 million. Repatha did about $168, $170 million, and Prowler did about $70 million. Far from the blockbuster below the expectations that you would have expected, especially given Lipitor. So the question, therefore, that Novartis is, is they think that they've answered, right? The quite big question is, can we outperform Repatha and, and, and Proluent with Inclycerin? And they're betting yes. What they're thinking is that, okay, Inclycerin works differently than Repatha and Proluent. And because it works slightly differently, they don't have to dose it as often. So I think that the longest you can go in between right now in Proluent and Repatha is four weeks. So you're getting a, an injection every month for those medications. When it comes to inclycerin, you'll only need two. You'll need two injections a year. So that's pretty, that's pretty great, really, because it can be done right in the doctor's office when, you're, when these patients who are at high risk for cardiovascular events are usually going to see the doctor a couple times a year anyways. So Novartis is bet, betting that they can take their existing sales force, which already markets blockbuster drugs like Entresto and stuff, in the cardiac space, they can turn them loose to sell in glycerin and that they'll be able to convince people that in glycerin's uh, favorable you know, dosing regimen is going to improve adherence and significantly reduce bad cholesterol and therefore, you know, um, reduce the risk of heart attacks and strokes. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's a good argument to be made. And if they're right, you know, the money that they're spending, this nine-something nine billion, is really going to be a drop in the bucket. Yeah, so true. And the medicines company management team has come out and said they plan to price this pretty competitively. So I think there's definitely an argument there. But Todd, I mean, we've talked about Amgen, Regeneron. They're not the only ones to keep in mind in this space because there's also Esperian Therapeutics, and that's ticker symbol ESPR. And that's a clinical stage biotech. It's got one drug in development, but it's a once-daily oral pill. Um, that is going after bad cholesterol. What can you tell us about this drug and really how it's positioning itself within the midst of this very competitive landscape? Yeah, this is where it gets really confusing because this has been a big back and forth between industry watchers over the course of the last two years is, okay, well, who will get to the market first? Will Inclycerin get to market or will Asperian's um, pepidoic acid get to market? Now, both of these drugs are very different. And we already talked about how Inclycerin targets PCSK9. Pepidoic acid works upstream of statins. And like you said, it's an oral drug, so it's not injected like glycerin. So you would take this drug either as a pill, uh, either on top of your current statin regimen, or if you're intolerant to statins, which many people are, I think up to 40% of people who start on statins end up discontinuing them because of 
side effects like muscle weakness, um, you know, you you can you can take this pill and and get some get your your bad cholesterol levels lowered. Like in glycerin, phase three studies are already done. But unlike in glycerin, which still hasn't yet been filed for FDA approval, bempedoic acids FDA filing has been done, and the PADUFA date um, that the FDA has set to make a decision on it is expected in February. So this drug will get to market first. So the big question will be, okay, bempedoic acid reduces um, you know, bad cholesterol by an additional 20 to 30%, let's say, when used with statins. And glycerin reduces it by 50 to 55%, right? So will there be room for both of these drugs if they both win approval? And, and my personal vote is that, yes, they both will win approval. And then I, I, would also, I also believe that there is going to be a good market niche that's going to allow both of these to survive. I think bepidoic acid is, could very well be a cheaper option because it's a small molecule rather than complex. And um, again, with the statin intolerance. I mean, maybe what you'll see is you'll see bepidoic acid get used in statin intolerant patients, and then if they don't reach their target, maybe then you would also overlay in glycerin. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. So a lot to look forward to. Again, glycerin, they plan to submit for U.S. approval by the end of the year. Also file for EU approval um, by Q1 of next year. Overall, the deal between Novartis and the medicines company is expected to close early next year. So a lot to watch in the space. Always fun to see kind of a resurgence or renaissance um, for any of these therapeutic areas. I've said that for neuroscience. And now, of course, we're seeing that in the cardiovascular space. And even with Ameren, I'm going to throw them in there too. But a lot to watch heading into 2020. On the other side of the break, we're going to switch gears and turn our attention to the cannabis space. But first, a quick word from our friends at Brave. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Brave, a next-generation web browser pioneering a better internet with privacy by default. It begins with giving you back control over who has access to your online activity. And let me tell you, Brave does it all. It protects your privacy. Brave's browser stops behavioral trackers and creepy ads following you across the web. It also provides faster speed and better user experience. Brave performs up to eight times faster than those other browsers while saving your battery life and reducing data cost. It's also free and convenient setup. Yes, completely free, easy to switch over to, including importing all of your bookmarks with one easy click. That means all of your Chrome extensions work on Brave, too. There's also opt-in advertising rewards program. So if you opt in to Brave's privacy-respecting ads, you get rewarded with tokens, which you can use to support your favorite content creators and access premium content. This gives publishers back their fair share of web revenue. Uh, Personally, I was able to install Brave literally within minutes. And with the first site I pulled up and one I visit daily and often, it quickly identified 38 site trackers um, instantly. And they were all blocked within a matter of seconds. Also, I could browse without being followed. You can take back control of your online activity and switch browsers to Brave today at brave.com slash full. Again, that's brave.com slash full to switch your browser to Brave. Yesterday was about big tech. Today is about us. All right. So 
Time to talk about cannabis and marijuana. Todd, you and I have talked about this space before. It's been a while since we've given updates, but I think now is probably the best time to get everybody up to speed um, because really October marked the start of what's been called Cannabis 2.0, but really all eyes have been on this month, December, for when we could actually start to see the impacts of Cannabis 2.0. And really, for most investors, we won't see the financial impacts until Q1, Q2 of next year. But granted, December is a big month for this industry. Todd, can you tell our, our listeners, what is Cannabis 2.0 and what does it mean in terms of prospects of turning this industry around? <laughs> investors, Shan, probably a little disappointed that the run-up to Cannabis 2.0 hasn't been nearly as friendly as the run-up to legalization in Canada in October 2018. It has been a brutal period to be investing in marijuana stocks, but hopefully uh, for those shareholders, there is hope around the corner with the advent of these new, I guess we'll call it second-generation or derivative-type products that contain... um, marijuana as as an ingredient. So we're talking now about things like um, edibles, you know, gummies and, and brownies and cookies and beverages, uh, which is another big area. And yes, indeed, uh, vapes, which in up until um, news earlier this year of, of some health concerns, uh, that has been one of the fastest growing uh, ways for people to consume marijuana in places like the U.S., where where it is um, where it is legal. So in October of 2019, mid October, they did clear the way, if you will, uh, for allowing the sale of these second generation, these derivative type products. However, because of you know inventory bottlenecks and some additional eyes to dot and T's to cross, they aren't becoming available until this month. And one of the things I think is really interesting to to see and how this is going to play out is. To what degree will these derivative products truly expand the cannabis marketplace? You know, if you look at Canada, when they first approved cannabis, it was for dried flour or, you know, for the most part, dried flour and oils. You know, okay, great. But I mean, you're probably somewhat experienced with cannabis already if you're going into one of these dispensaries to buy those products and use them uh, and use them on your own. Now we're talking about having products on the shelves of those dispensaries that theoretically cannabis naive buyers could go in and say, hmm, you know, I've always been intrigued, but I don't really want to smoke it. Now I could try an edible, for example. So it'll be very interesting to see whether or not we get um, a much larger amount of, you know, pickup in sales in Canada once these, once these different, you know, second, second generation goods become available this month. Exactly. And for a lot of these companies, they've really been looking forward to the opportunity to produce these higher margin products. Um, Obviously, there is a premium aspect that I think they can play off of that's been really exciting. And of course, you've got a lot of uh, picks and shovels companies that are coming on board, you know, things like um, your dehydration tech, things like that, to really help move Cannabis 2.0 forward. Um, But we did get news this week in the derivative space that Canopy Growth, ticker symbol CGC, got some very welcome news about its beverages line, specifically that they secured uh, some licenses. Todd, what can you tell us about Canopy Growth? 
Well, I think it's very great. It's great news for canopy growth. Right? It's, it, the fact is that all of these industry participants have been planting marijuana like crazy, building up their facilities and their in their their production. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of hiccups on the supply side. And as a result, that's creating all sorts of weird inventory bottlenecks that of late has forced some of these producers to ratchet back um, their production forecasts. So the success of these second generation products is is you know very important to these companies because they need they need another way to be able to use this product that they're growing. So winning that approval to be able to sell the beverages in Canada, uh, I think is very big for Canopy Growth, which is the market share leading producer or, or seller of uh, legal marijuana in Canada. What Canopy Growth is going to roll out is a product lineup that includes about 13 different cannabis, cannabis infused drinks. None of them are going to contain alcohol, at least initially, despite the fact that, you know, one of Canopy Growth's big partners is Constellation Brands, uh, which is a big beer and wine company. So they'll be non-alcoholic to begin. They're going to have they're going to be roughly 355 milliliter cans. They're going to be pre-mixed uh, in various flavors. I think they're they're going to have a, a a ginger ale mixed with it. They're going to have all sorts of different you know kind of different flavors that you can choose from. They're even doing a seltzer like sparkling water beverages uh, under a brand called Quattro that could be theoretically popular and each will contain either THC or CBD or some combination of the two. And I think the most potent of the ones that they're launching is something called deep space and deep space is a dark colored carbonated beverages. that's going to be sold in a slightly smaller can, but that's going to contain 10 milligrams of THC, which is the maximum amount the health Canada is allowing at this point. Yeah, so a lot to watch here and certainly welcome news uh, for Constellation Brands, who I believe has up to about a 40% stake in the company, but has uh, generated losses to the tune of almost $600 million so far related to canopy growth. So I know this new beverage line is welcome news all around. And I believe as soon as they got the licenses, they have already been up and operational and it can literally be a matter of weeks before we see those hit the store shelves. So a lot to watch here. But let's jump uh, across the border and Talk about what's happening in the U.S. because there's been a lot of focus on the CBD market. Of course, CBD has taken the world by storm um, as something to help expand that consumer market. But the FDA recently came out with kind of a renewed stance on CBD. And there have been a number of companies that have gotten caught up in this. Todd, what can you tell us about the FDA stance right now? Well, the FDA has been, you know, I guess talking about this for a while. For, so it's not too, too surprising that they have released basically updated guidance or updated thoughts on CBD and whether or not um, it poses a health risk to consumers and people, especially given the, you know, how widespread interest has been in CBD-containing products. They're pretty much putting it in everything right now. CBD is the non-psychoactive cannabinoid um, that's the second most common behind THC in cannabis, and it's perceived to have significant medical benefits. In fact, there is one CBD-driven drug that's already won FDA approval on the market for use in um, epi- epilepsy patients. Uh, that aside, on November 25th, the FDA did issue a consumer statement that said that CBD has the potential to harm you and that the harm can happen even before you become aware of it. It can also cause side effects that you might not even notice and there are important aspects to it that we just don't even fully understand. One of the concerns that they raised in this 
letter was that, you know, it could expose you to the risk of liver injury um, if you regularly ingest CBD while uh, taking it with other medications. So, you know, the FDA is clearly saying to everybody out there, okay, we know there's a lot of excitement about CBD. We know that a lot of people are trying to pitch it as a cure-all for everything. But just recognize that we don't fully, we don't have the scientific evidence yet to be able to say that there is no harm that can come from taking CBD regularly. And I think, you know, one of the other things, Shannon, that happened right around the same time is the FDA came out and it issued, I think, uh, half a do- uh, maybe a dozen or more uh, warning letters to different companies that are selling CBD with claims saying that CB does this or CBD does that. You really just, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, CBD itself is not FDA approved. So I think it was very important for the FDA to come out and say, yes, there is a CBD drug on the market that we have approved, but we've only approved that one very specific um, drug. We have not pr- you know, approved the use of CBD overall in topicals and drinks and everything else that they're sticking in it now. And that's so true. And I think it's not just the regulatory kind of framework that I think a lot of investors and even the industry is waiting for right now, because really regulation does make it very clear in terms of what is a drug, what's a dietary supplement. Um, we also got news from Charlotte's Web, the um, basically number one market share leader in CBD, that they are um, awaiting a class action lawsuit about basically their products being mislabeled as dietary supplements. Um, it's them and another company that um, basically will ultimately be wrapped up. But I mean, there are a lot of CBD companies right now that are marketing their products as dietary supplements. And when you actually go to the FDA and their Q&A for this updated guidance, one of the questions is, can THC or CBD products be sold as dietary supplements? Their answer is no. (laughs) And literally in no uncertain terms, based on available evidence, FDA has concluded that THC and CBD products are excluded from the dietary supplement definition under the FD&C Act. So I think um, there's still a lot of gray area. And now what you're starting to see are companies not only subject to the regulatory risk, but now you've also got this legal risk. And I think, if anything, it really just reinforces the need for the FDA to come out really with more clear guidelines. I love the fact that they're giving some updates, but it still leaves a lot to be desired. Um, But looking ahead, I think right now, one of the biggest questions that I think we get here at The Motley Fool and um, really I think most investors are asking this right now is, is this a bottom? Have we hit a bottom in the marijuana industry? And now with Cannabis 2.0, can we expect to see things turn around? Todd, what do you say to that? Well, these stocks are clearly selling a, a deep discount to where they were last year, but you really should never, you got to wor- worry about anchoring bias where you, you take a, a price and you say, okay, well, it's, it's cheap relevant to this price or it's expensive relative to that price. I think that the best way to look at this, this emerging group is, is to say to yourself, what are the price to sales forward? Looking forward, what are they trading price to sales? Unfortunately, some of these companies are still very expensive when you look at a price to sales ratio. I think Canopy Growth is still trading something like 20 times forward sales, and they're losing a boatload of money every quarter still. Um, I think one of probably one of the, the ones that I'd be most interested in if I was looking to be speculative and, and try and buy one of these on sale would be Organogram, symbol there's OGI. Um, that's trading about four times forward sales, and because it, it because of the hydroponics it uses, it's one of the most efficient producers of cannabis. So that's a, that's an interesting 
stock that I might consider looking at. I'd also consider looking at TrueLeave, which is a U.S. dispensary focused on Florida. Symbol there is TCNNF. Um, that's growing pretty rapidly in the medical marijuana market down in Florida. I, I really think that there's a lot of uh, risk still to these stocks in that, you know, you've got a political, you got political uncertainty. Um, you know, hey, if if the vote goes a certain way in November of 2020, you could easily get legalization of marijuana that breaks down all sorts of barriers and increases their use. If it goes another way, then it's probably status quo and you're still going to be fighting uh, against these these regulatory and political roadblocks to try and establish market share. When you look at Canada, you know, the Canadian market is worth about $6 billion a year, Canadian. Uh, and right now, I think, you know, only a third of that is done in the legal marketplace. So you're, you're going to need to see them open up more dispensaries and create more shelf space for these products. Um, and then have that translate into sales. I mean, you can still go out and buy on the black market cannabis for less money than it costs in the legal market. So it's going to, you know, these second derivative products, I think you really need to wait and see how they resonate with consumers. If they resonate, great, because you're not going to be able to buy that on the black market. You know, these are the, so I think that you've got to wait and see when it comes to some of these Canadian producers. And then if you're more speculative, maybe you give it a go on on those two names that I mentioned. Exactly. And I think, you know, the U.S. multi-state operator space is really interesting, especially for the ones that are profitable and very cost focused. Um, You think you mentioned TrueLeave. TrueLeave is definitely a great company to consider. Um, And I really think a lot of the U.S. multi-state operators that are operating in a legal sense, get overlooked. Um, But I came from an investor conference a few weeks ago, and there's so much talk about those MSOs that are operating well, operating efficiently, and operating a very disciplined approach. Even uh, former Canopy Grove CEO Bruce Linton mentioned that he is eyeing the U.S. MSO space. So I think that's interesting. Obviously, with um, a lot of the, I guess, sales guidance for a lot of these companies being cut in half in some respects, I think you've got to make sure that whatever you're investing in, that they are very disciplined when it comes to costs, especially as we wait for a lot of these derivatives to come online and we start to see the impact. Again, that probably won't happen until um, next year at some point, but a lot to watch and a lot to like in this space. Um, And certainly we'll keep all of our listeners up to date on all the latest happening in the marijuana industry. But as for us this week. That'll do it for Industry Focus Healthcare. We want to thank you for tuning in. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!